stand with me as we read God's Word. Verse 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. Apparently he was acquainted with Elisha. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, two questions, What shall I do for thee? Then he's very practical. Tell me, what hast thou in the house? <laughs> what do you have to pay this bill? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. She said, I don't have anything but a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. That's a blank check. Yeah, I mean, a few is probably two or three, right? Something like that, depending on how you, where you're from. That's, that's a blank check. Borrow not a few. That means borrow everything you can. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. In other words, we didn't bring any more. That's all we brought. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd use it in our hearts. Help us to rightly apply the scriptures and this story to, uh, Lord, the, the need of giving and the potential for giving. And I pray, dear Lord, for that one who uh, you need to open their hearts so they can understand. I pray that they would understand that, Lord, you want all of us to be givers. If we're going to be Christ-like, we have to be givers. And Lord, if the world is going to be reached, you in your economy, you've chosen uh, to allow us to handle the bread like the disciples handled the bread when Jesus fed the 5,000. And Lord, uh, it's a blessing that we can participate. And I just pray, dear Lord, that you'd help this church to take a step forward because believers who are a part of this church take a step forward. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This story teaches the potential for giving. And the potential, ladies and gentlemen, is greater than what we realize. I'm so glad that God can. Now, I've had years when we had a goal that we set. We set a goal every year. I let the people do it. They put down what they think the church should give. We average it, and that becomes the goal. Ninety-five percent of the times in the history of Great Hope Baptist Church, we've hit that goal. About that many times, we've hit our promise. And uh, there's a reason for that. It's the spiritual nature of the way we do it. And it's interesting to me, we've had years where we had people transfer out and they were big givers, and I thought, what are we going to do? One year we lost two people for the right reason, and I had no idea what we are going to do. And I have such puny faith, and I'll never forget that God allowed us to go thirty, no, $25,000 over our goal. 
<laughs> what a rebuke that was to me. You know, and I love, I love Ephesians 3.20. Now unto, him who's do, can, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Aren't you glad that God is not limited to your puny expectation? I am. And because there's sometimes I've said, I have no idea where this is going to go, and yet God did more than I could ever imagine. And so uh, God surprises us. The potential for giving. I used to believe that this story we just read in 2 Kings 4 uh, of a desperate widow woman who faced an overwhelming financial need was totally positive. I thought, this is great, man. Uh, her sons are going to be sold into bond, as bond slaves to sell, take care of a debt. Daddy's dead. He was a man of God. Elisha knew him. He was a faithful man. Why is this happening? And uh, her sons are going to be bond slaves. And she didn't want that to happen. And, uh, and, and God met the need. And they're going to live for, for the rest of their life and the debt's paid. Isn't that a great ending? But there's some negative in this that I want you to see. It's not enough that we just get along, folks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not enough that you just make a living and make it, have your two-week vacation. It's not enough. That's what happened here. Everything went back to normal. Everything's taken care of. So it's a great positive story. I want us to see what is right and what is wrong about this dramatic effort of a godly mother seeking to pay her bill and to save her sons from bond slavery. First of all, this woman was in a desperate need of money, no doubt about that, and her need was so great that only a spiritual solution could touch it. Now, there is no reason for Christians to apologize for teaching our responsibility concerning money. This morning I told you of the 35 parables that Jesus gave, 16 were about money. Uh, one out of every six verses in the Bible deals with something about materialism or money, substance. And so it's a fact of life. We live in a material world. What are the positive things about it? The overwhelming need. Let's consider four things from the story. The overwhelming need. She faced an unexpected predicament. You ever face one, especially financially? All right. My wife just had some dental work, and we didn't expect it. And boy, you know, it's amazing just for one little tooth implant, what that cost. I mean, I mean, if anything ever happens to her, I want that tooth back. <laughs> I don't know if I can get anything for it or not, but I, before they put her away, I want that tooth back. <laughs> that tooth, that tooth is, we spent more on that one tooth than we have in a whole mouth in the history of, of, her, of her life. It's amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. But you know what? Think about it. You what do you know that you use more than your, your teeth and your feet? You need to take care of your teeth and your feet, man. Anyway, that's a health, I'm a health major, so I, I'll throw that health bug out there. We got to have our teeth, you know. I, I, I want to get buried with the ones I've got. I don't care if they're crooked or how many fillings they got. I just want to get buried with the ones I came with, okay? And so uh, it was an overwhelming need, it was unexpected. What would you pay to keep your children, ladies? Let's think about it now. Put it in perspective. What would you, you'd give everything you've got to keep your sons and daughters. Uh, we are to love souls with the same fervor as we love our children and wouldn't want to give them up. Think about it. Uh, 
Now let's talk about some of the positive things that she did. First of all, she sought a spiritual solution in verse 1. She cried unto the prophet Elisha. She knew that her husband was, had, a, had an association with him. She, he, he apparently knew that he'd been a faithful man or she wouldn't have brought it up. And did he fear God? And so she cries unto the prophet of God, Elisha. So she, she sought a, a spiritual solution. Number two, she had a godly husband, okay? She didn't have to be embarrassed to go to the prophet and say, look, I need help. Because she knew that her husband was a good, godly man, and it served the Lord. Number three, she did what the man of God told her to do. I mean, what was her attitude? Her attitude was, I don't have anything in the house except just a little pot of oil. Her attitude was, I don't have anything. His attitude was, God can take your little bit and meet the need if you're willing to pour it. You get it? And so she did have to, her, that was totally contrary to her thinking, what he told her to do. She was going to ignore that pot of oil. He focused on the pot of oil. So she, she did obey what he said, which caused her to have to go contrary to what she was thinking. That's not, a, that's not easy to do. You ever had a woman to make up her mind and try to change it? Oh, well, I won't, go in, I won't follow that. She trusted God to provide. You see, the plan did not make sense apart from God's involvement. May I say to you, this doesn't make sense apart from God's involvement? I mean, look around. I mean, what are we going to do for the need of the world with billions of people never heard of God? How are we going to do that? Are we going to be like her and say, we don't have enough. We, don't have, we just got one little pot of oil. We're just in one little spot here in Minster, uh, Ohio. What can we do? That's the attitude people have. Let me, give you, let me give you some real good advice. You and God make a majority. It's not the big liberal church down the street that's just knocking in time, being religious. It's God's New Testament church based on New Testament principles that God is involved in, okay? We have the right message. We have the authority to give that message out. And I got news for you. We've got the means to do it if we tap into what God is doing. And the truth of the matter is, this thing was impossible without God in her life. So she faced an unexpected predicament. That's an overwhelming need. She possessed unexamined riches. <laughs> do you possess unexamined riches? You say, well, I don't have anything. She had a little oil. She had something. She discovered an unestimated potential, didn't she? She discovered an unestimated potential. She learned what God could do with the little we have when given to Him. I want to ask you a question. What hast thou in the house? <laughs> what do you have? It's amazing how people overlook the fact that they can give. They can give. If we want to give, we can give, folks. You know, I'm a bow hunter. I like bows. I'm not going to buy another bow at my age. All right, I've got a Matthews. I've got the best one you can shoot. It's not the best, most expensive Matthews, but it's the best one I can shoot. You know the best bow is the one you can shoot. I don't care if you buy it from Walmart. The one you can shoot is the best one. And I can shoot this one. I can hit a quarter at 20 yards. But the bottom line is, not every time. I want to be honest. But 
I'm close every time, but I can hit a quarter once in a while, maybe one out of three shots. Okay, I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you the truth. At our beast feast, which is our sports banquet, I put it a quarter of an inch from dead center, all right? And the winner was an eighth of an inch. I just, and I don't compete. I just do it to show them who the boss is, all right? <laughs> and so the bottom line is, uh, hey, she, she learned what God could do with the little that we have when uh, given to God. What has to on the house? I got news for you. If I wanted to buy another boat and I couldn't afford it, I'd find out a way to do it. You know why? Because I like to do that. I wouldn't steal from God to do it. But we figure out, we figure out ways to get what we want, don't we? I mean, we say, if we just do this, do this, we can do this. Why don't we do that with God? You say, well, that, that's not faith. Listen, it's nothing wrong with you putting missions in your budget. And once you do that, you'll be amazed what God can do to your budget. And so we have an overwhelming need. Number two, the oil was minimized. I want to show you what's wrong with this story. What's wrong with this story? In verse 2, she said, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? That's one question. Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Now, uh, Thine handmaid hath not anything. I mean, how can you say, I don't have anything, and then say you have a pot of oil? That's a paradox, isn't it? And she's saying, except a pot of oil. What she's saying, that's not going to get it done. She didn't think much of the pot of oil, did she? You know, I said this morning that God called Moses to deliver Israel, and he doubted. Number one, he said, I can't talk. He said, I'll let Aaron talk for you. He said, he, he said, I can't do this. And he said, he said, Lord, what, what, what can I do? He said, what's in your hand? What did I put in your hand? A rod. Just an old pole that he found out there somewhere that was straight that he cut down on the backside of the desert when he was uh, herding sheep. Something he'd been messing with and all he did is gourd sheep and pull them out of the river and pull them out of the rocks and out of the mud and, and a staff to lean on while he was out there watching sheep. Just a pole. But once he was trying to do what God had called him to do, he said, what have you got in your hand? What he had in the house he was able to use and God did amazing things with it. Turned it into a snake. Let him point at the Red Sea and it parted. Struck a rock and fed... I used to think it was just a water fountain. I mean, I had a minimal view of Scripture when I was a young Christian. Do you realize that 200 million people, you're not going to, nobody's going to get a drink. You ever stood in a water a line at a, a water fountain? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sometimes, especially in an airport, I mean, you, you, you're going to miss your plane? He struck the rock. It was a river. It was a river. <laughs> he didn't. And God told him, says, hit that rock. He took that stick. With a stick. Can't you see it now, folks? I, I was giving a devotion to our people. I'm just having fun now, all right? Okay. And uh, I said, you know, what, what have you got in your hand? We minimize what God has given us. And I said, can't you see Moses going to Pharaoh? Take that. <laughs> I mean, that's what you would think. But it was more to it because God was in the rock. 
I could preach you a message on that Christ is the rod. There's a passage that teaches that. He's the rod. And uh, basically, God can't give us what we don't have until we give what we do have. She minimized what she had. That's what people do. You get ready for mission, so I can't do that. Really? If it's something you want to do, you can. If I wanted another bow, I don't want another bow. I could get a bow. I'd get one some way. I'd, I'd cut here and cut there uh, without cheating God, and I'd get that bow. We do what we want to do. And so, basically, what do you have in your hand? Giving more begins with giving what we have. Folks, do not minimize what you get. The key to giving is starting with what you possess. Why should God allow you to do more than you're doing now and grow you in your faith as far as giving? Unless you give some of what, get started. Philippians 1.6, I gave it this morning. By the way, the book of Philippians, aren't you glad our missionary letters are not as long as the book of Philippians? That's a missionary letter report to encourage the Philippians and, 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 and thank them, basically, for the joy of giving. They supported Paul as a missionary. It was like your missionary letters. It was the only church that supported him when he left Macedonia. Here's what he said. He talked about their partnership with him with the gospel. That's what you're doing. You're partnering with people going to a place that you will not go unless you go on a mission trip, short-term mission trip, and you're going to help them to be there. And Paul said, being confident of this very thing. Now, think about that phrase. Confidence. Being, being confident of this very thing that he, God, who hath begun a good work in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You can get started in grace giving. But nobody can start for you. You've got to say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to give? And then you're going to, the devil's going to say, well, that's not going to do a whole lot. Get started. Two dollars wasn't much when I got started. Get started. I like to get people started because in three years they're going to get it. By three years, they're going, they're going to be, they're going to say, God does this. I've done fine. I can do this. I think I'll increase mine $5 a week or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's what's been, my, my increases haven't been huge. It's taken me 45 years to get to a place where my giving to missions has bigger, been bigger than my tithes since 1980. And it's bigger than anything that we give out financially now. You say, How'd you do that? I grew in faith. If God had said when I was a young 21-year-old man, I made a $2 promise that we were going to give a certain amount of dollar amount a month, a week, or whatever, at this time, I'd have said, I quit. Because there's no way I didn't have that kind of faith. I just didn't have that kind of faith. But God is able. And I've learned that. And because I've learned that, I, I believe giving uh, begins with what you have. If she wasn't willing to pour that little bit of oil, she wouldn't have had more oil. Let me read you a story. Now, you know, the, the, the liberals never build anything. They just take them over. And this Baptist church in Pennsylvania, I would not recommend anybody to go to their college today, but it didn't start that way. Let me read you this story. It's a story about 57 cents. 
A sobbing little girl stood near a small church from which she had been turned away because it was too crowded. I can't go to Sunday school, she sobbed to the pastor as he walked by. Seeing her shabby, unkept appearance, the pastor guessed the reason and taking her by the hand, took her inside and found a place for her in the Sunday school class. The child was so touched that she went to bed that night thinking of the children who have no place to worship the Lord Jesus. Some two years later, this child lay dead in one of the poor tenement buildings, and the parents called for the kind-hearted pastor who had befriended their daughter to handle the final arrangements. As her poor little body was being moved, a worn and crumpled purse was found which seemed to have been rummaged from some trash dump. Inside was found 57 cents and a note scribbled in childish handwriting which read, This is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. For two years, she had saved for this offering of love. When the pastor tearfully read that note, he knew instantly what he would do. Carrying this note and cracked red pocketbook to the pulpit, he told the story of her unselfish love and devotion. He challenged his deacons to get busy and raise enough money for the larger building. But the story does not end there. A newspaper learned of the story and published it. It was read by a realtor who offered them a parcel of land worth many thousands of dollars. When told that the church could not pay so much, he offered it for 57 cents. Church members made large subscriptions. Checks came from far and wide. Within five years, the little girl's gift had increased to $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars, a huge sum for the time near the turn of the century. Her unselfish love had paid large dividends. When you are in the city of Philadelphia, look up Temple Baptist Church with a seating capacity of 3,300 and Temple University where hundreds of students are trained. Have a look too at the Good Samaritan Hospital and at a Sunday school building with house, which houses hundreds of Sunday school scholars so that no child in the area will ever need to be left outside during Sunday school time. In one of the rooms of this building may be seen the picture of the sweet face of the little girl whose 57 cents so sacrificially saved made such remarkable history. Alongside of it is a portrait of her pastor, Dr. Russell H. Conwell, a true story in this verse. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Russell H. Conwell was the author of Acres of Diamonds. You ought to read that book amazing, as well as longtime pastor of the Baptist Temple and founder and first president of Temple University. I wouldn't recommend you go there to college today, but that's how it really got going. A little poor little girl who died early, who saved for two years, 57 cents. Do not minimize your oil. Do not minimize what you give. So the oil was minimized. And the oil was increased. Amazing. Verse 5. Look what it says. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me a vessel. And he said unto her, There is no, not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. The oil increased, didn't it? Another, it's interesting. There's another little lesson here. Why did he go in and shut the door? I think there's two reasons. Uh, 
the privacy of giving. Matthew 6, do not your, do your alms before men. Now the poor in here would be giving, all right? She was willing to use what she had. Are you following me? She was willing to use the little that Elisha said she had, and as she poured into the empty vessels, God supernaturally increased the oil. That's the picture. But what I want you to see is they went in and shut the door behind them. Giving is a private thing. That's why I believe we ought to give through our local church. You know why? Because other than someone who has to record it, you know, for tax purposes, it's really done privately. If you give to some organization, some businessman, they'll write you up in their magazine and, and do this. And, you know, the Bible says, do not your alms before men, because if you do, you receive the glory. Uh, God will bless you openly if you do it uh, privately. And he, does, he says the same thing about prayer. I call Matthew 6 the secret service chapter. All right? You do it in secret, God rewards you openly. And so uh, I think that's one lesson we can see here. But another thing is only those who have faith can experience the miracle of God's supply. I mean, they had to have enough faith to go in there, shut the door, and start pouring. She could have said, this is a waste of time. Look at this little boy. And you got this big old container. And the first container would have, could have stopped most people because you got a little bowl, and here's this big container. Now, what's going to happen when you take a little bowl of oil and you pour it into a big container? You're going to wet the bottom of the pan or the pot. I mean, humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. But those who, who operate by faith, only those will experience the miracle of God's supply. Now, let me tell you what's wrong with this. First of all, if pouring is giving, this is what's right with it. Elisha did not pour her oil for her, did he? He didn't pour the oil for her. She had to pour it. It was her oil. He just told her to pour it and go get vessels and believe that God's going to fill them. And so nobody's going to give for you, all right? And then she poured her own oil. Uh, he did not pour it. But let me just tell you what's wrong with this story. What's wrong with the story is God did not limit the oil. Man limited the oil. The oil was limited by man. She said, bring me another vessel. And the boys only got a certain number of vessels. Now, here's what I want you to see. The command was a blank check. Bring vessels from your neighbors and abroad. That sounds like to me they were to go out of the neighborhood to the neighbors, out of the neighborhood, they were to go everywhere as far as they could go and get every vessel they could. Borrow not a few. Here was the problem. This is the biggest mistake. This is, the big, this is what's wrong with the story. There were other young men and there were other mothers who had sons who probably had debt who were going to be in slavery. What's wrong with the story is that those boys only brought enough vessels to meet their need. They could have met the debt of every person in the area. That's missions. That's our mentality, folks. God bless us for no more. We got what we need. We have our programs in our church. We're set. Really? Is the church ever really built? 
is constantly growing, should be constantly growing. We ought to be constantly growing in our faith. There should never be a time where we say, oh, that's it, I've grown enough. I've given enough. Every single year, the devil whispers in my ear, look what you're doing now. This is enough. And every, that's why missions conference is so important. And every year, God speaks to my heart and to my wife, and we do something more. Every year, every year. And we've grown to believe that God's going to supply and meet the need. The oil was limited by man. Borrow empty vessels. Borrow not a few. He gave an unlimited command, folks. We have an unlimited command. And God is able to make, did you hear it? All grace abound toward you. That ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. Now what is about that verse that we want limitation? I don't see any limitation in it. I see a blank check. I see a God who says, you promise, you perform, I'll meet your need. Now, some people don't understand faith promise. I had a missionary to get up my first church. He said, I know that you folks pray every, year, every week that God will send that check in the mail. And I thought, man, you don't have a clue. That's not faith promise. Faith promise is making a promise out of your abundance Believing God will meet your needs. And you give it and expect God to meet your needs. I told him, I said, you don't understand faith promise, do you? I said, if I believe what you just preached, I would never give my faith promise because I don't get a check in the mail. I get a check uh, as I'm employed here. And I say, I say well, I can, I can afford to do that. I'm going to give that. I'm going to promise that. Believing God will continue my job. And it'll be there the rest of the year. That's why, that's why making a promise is faith. Some people don't want to make a promise. You know why? They don't want to burn their bridges. They don't want to leave out, they want to leave out that, that opportunity that if it's, things just don't work out, I can back out of it. That's like faith, folks. Now, some people still give like that. That's fine. And what you do with your money is your business, how you do it. I mean, that's, that's between you and the Lord. But I can tell you, uh, say, making a promise, that's why you pass out a card. It gives you an opportunity to say, okay, I believe God will help me do this. I'm going to do it. It's a step of faith. You ought to try it. I've been doing it for 40-some years, and I, you can tell I haven't lost any weight. Of course, you didn't know how big I was before, but anyway. He said, go abroad. Man, that's, that's a long ways. Bring empty vessels. Bring not a few. God has given us an awesome task. Go ye to all the world. That's big, isn't it? Bring not a few. But he has given us a promise of unlimited supply. That God is able. Man puts the limitation on what God could do. And the oil stayed. Why? Because they stopped bringing vessels. We stay the oil. He could have filled every pot in town. She could have made every person in town debt free. Isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to get people to come to a place where they understand that Jesus paid their debt at Calvary. And we want to get the message to them. And she had the means to, to pay a physical debt. We limit world evangelization in the same way when we hold God to our meager expectations. The God we serve is bigger than our limited resources. We need to understand that. If we, if we have something in the house or we have some um, financial capability at all, 
God will let us give. And he'll let us do more than that if we trust him. The need is great, and God has given each of us a little oil. Can God trust us to pour out to him what we have so he can increase our ability to reach this lost world? Folks, this story is simple. There's a desperate financial need. Uh, it was the, the oil that she, what she had, she minimized. And I'm afraid that people on a tight budget many times say, I can't. I got started when I could. Let me tell you something. I got married. When I got married, I signed a contract in a Christian school rather than going into public schools. I signed a contract for $4,800 a year in 1973. 4800 I could have made double that in a public school at that time. Now, back in those days, salaries weren't real high. And you know what? They made me youth pastor, and they, they paid me another $1,200. Man, I was, I, was a, I, was, I was living on $10 a week myself as a single man. That's gas and everything and snacks and whatever when I got married. I know what it is to squeeze a nickel to the buffalo hollows. <laughs> I understand that. I know what tight is. And, uh, you know, I pastored a church when they, they couldn't really afford I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I, I, I thank God for those times, and we gave our faith promise. Years ago, I'll tell this story and I'll quit. Years ago, in our little church out on the eastern shore of Virginia, I wanted to teach these people to be givers. And I had some people fought me on it like crazy. It was the funniest thing. And I had a man in tears, just an uneducated guy that was a businessman. He came up to me after five years. He said, Pastor, Poster, he had old English bro. He said, I know I'm not supposed to tell you this. He said, but I made a promise this year. He said, I understand it now. He told me years ago, he said, look, I tithe, preach. I do more my tithe. I don't understand it. I'm not going to do it. I said, that's great, Billy. I said, that's fine. It's between you and God. And in five years, he learned. He came to me in the last conference I had there. He said, he said, Pastor, I know I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I made a promise. I said, really? That's good, Bill. He said, I understand it now. I just left him alone, let him do it. And I mean, you know, it's amazing uh, what God does to people. He became a giver. And I'll never forget, I, that group of people, I said, look, we want to it's Jesus' birthday for Christmas. Let's take up a special missions offering in addition to what we're giving. And let's give a gift to the Lord, and let's give, find some projects that missionaries are doing. They really need extra money. And we would find one or two projects, and we give that. And we, I, we do that in our church at Great Hope, you know. And uh, I wanted to be an example. Now, we didn't, weren't making much money, all right? I don't know, $13,000 a year, something like that. And uh, we had children. And I said, honey, I believe God wants us to give $100. Now, that was a lot then. And we went for Christmas and put on layaway the toys we were going to get two of our children. And we could not get them out. We were not going to have the money to get it out. And I said, honey, we can trust God for this $100. We can trust God for this $100. And this is why God put concrete on my life in this area of giving. I thank God for those times. And we prayed that week. We gave the money, and we needed it. And uh, my sister sent me $20, $20 of coupons for paying a, a phone bill. I said, honey, that's good, but that's not the $100. She didn't know about it. We didn't tell anybody. I had another person in the church send us $10 in a card. I said, that's great, but that's not, that's not $100. When we walked out of the building, nobody knew this. Nobody knew this except God and my wife, and we asked God to give us that $100 back. The last person I saw 
before the Christmas holidays, I preached on that Sunday night as I was walking out. The last person who walked out said, Pastor, here's something for you and your wife. It was an envelope. Now, I'll tell you how confident I was about what that was in that envelope. We locked the building. We were going to go over across the, the, the Baybridge Tunnel and be with my, her mother and father for Christmas with the babies. And I walked in my office and Hope walked in and she was so anticipating it because I had, we'd prayed about it. And uh, I'll never forget. I said, you see that envelope? There's $100 in it. She said, how do you know? Have you seen it? I said, no, there's $100 in it. <laughs> and she opened it up and it was a $100 bill. And you know what we did? We got on our knees in my office and we worshiped the God who can do that. Just $100 is nothing to me today by this economy. But then it was a lot. And we got our children's gifts. We went over and had, a, had our Christmas, and God is good. And you know what? The fact that God would do that was more important to me than the $100. But I knew it. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. That put concrete on my faith. And I led that little church who had nothing to support 27 missionaries when they had nothing. In New Jersey, God met needs. And I could tell you one need after another. I can tell you our church needed a big bus. $73,000 air-conditioned big bus we bought didn't raise a dime, came right out of the general excess over our giving, and we're still giving the mission. You understand what I'm saying? We bought a minibus that seat 30, brand-new diesel, 46000 never raised an extra dime, came right out of the, the extra from giving, but our people are giving the missions too. We, we, uh, we paid off our gym, $50,000. We re redid the floor and everything and still gave the missions. And you say, how do you do that? I don't know, but God. I'm just saying you cannot outgive God and if you're not willing to take that little bit of oil you got, I'm using that symbolic of what you have or what you're capable of doing, and you're not willing to pour some of it into a bigger container, we've got a bigger container to pour it into. It's called a lost world, folks. God can meet the need. He will use you. I am nothing special. And your faith counts as much as mine does. And we prove our faith when we take our security from what we do every day. We're saying, I'm going to take the job that I have, that God's given me, what I do with my hands every day. I don't care if it's milking cows. I don't care if it's slaughtering hogs. I don't care if it's uh, patching pipes. I don't care if it's fixing automobiles. If it's driving nails, you can say, this is my spiritual enterprise. When I go to work, I'm doing more than building a family and a home and taking care of myself. I'm building the kingdom of God. Let's pray.